Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 23rd of April 2017, entitled Making Our Church a Great Church, Part 7. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 33. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. As we continue in our thoughts that we've been looking at on making our church a great church. In Acts chapter 4, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy and precious word. We're going to begin reading in verse 23 and read down through verse 33. It says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you now, Lord, that as we look into these words that you have preserved and placed before us, Father, thank you that we can know that you're present here with us. We pray now that you would speak to hearts as only you can in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I would remind you that if you haven't been here or you happen to missed, that we're talking about making our church a great church. Making our church a great church. We have absolutely no desire to be a great church by man's opinions, man's ideas, whether it be by number or facilities or anything else that make us look great in man's eyes, we have a great desire to be a great church in God's eyes because he has left us here. It is Jesus Christ himself that has and continues to build his church. We want to be a great church because the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is taking place through us. It's not based upon our programs. It's not based upon how much money that we have in the bank. It's based upon the greatness of doing the work that God has left his church to do. We have 
too many ordinary churches. I thank God for every Christian, for every believer, for every church that is proclaiming the truth of God's Word. But may I say, all around us and ourselves included, uh, that there's not enough greatness in our churches today because there's not enough greatness of His work that is taking place. We've looked at some things in this first church in Jerusalem that we recall that it was Jesus Christ himself that said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I believe that that began with the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ himself while he was here on this earth. He is the one that tells us that the foundation of that church is the apostles themselves with him being the chief cornerstone. We find that that is precisely where this church at Jerusalem began to be built, that chief cornerstone from the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the only foundation that the true church can be built upon. But we have too many, too many buildings, too many churches that have become so professional at what we do because we know how to do it so well. We can become so polished in all that we do and all of our ideals. But we're saying, what really makes a church a great church? We've looked at a number of things. We said, first of all, that the thing that made this early church a great church and will do the same for us today is great purpose. Why are we here? Why do we do the things that we do? What is our whole purpose? Because if we're going to be a great church, there must be great purpose. And that means that that great purpose is going to be obedience to the Savior. Obedience to the Savior. Not what we want. Not what any denomination says. Not what any group says. But what God says. Our purpose will be to obey Him and to do His will. Not only to obey the Savior, but to operate in the Spirit. We do have so much ability and know-how within ourselves that if we're not careful, we'll operate within ourselves. But if we're going to have great purpose, it's going to be an obedience to the Savior. It's going to be an operation of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be that in everything else that we do, whatever programs we have, whatever other ministries that we do, the offer of salvation is always the preeminent thing that we offer. The Lord Jesus Christ, our purpose. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. His whole purpose in coming was that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be made one with God again. Our purpose, whatever else that we may decide, our purpose, if we're going to be a great church, must be a great purpose. We must be operating in obedience to the Savior, in operation within the Spirit, with the offer of salvation in everything that we do. We said, secondly, it requires great preaching. We don't need any great preachers. We don't need any certain individual. To be a great church doesn't require a particular person to be behind the pulpit preaching. As a matter of fact, if that person becomes too prominent 
A church that is built on a preacher will not last. It will fall. When that preacher goes, the church will go. A great church will not be built on people, on great preachers. It will be built on great preaching. That first of all, and above all, it exalts the Savior. It exalts Jesus Christ. It lifts Him. It magnifies Him. That in everything, Jesus Christ is seen above all else. Exalts the Savior. And it edifies the saints. We talked about that. It edifies the saints. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. It's the truth. It's the word of God. It's God's teachings that will build up the saints to make us more like the Savior. And sometimes that's exhorting, but sometimes it's reproving and rebuking what God's word will do for us. And it always exposes sin. Because if you're here today and you're lost without Jesus Christ, any preaching that doesn't expose sin for what it is and what sin is out to do to you and what sin will ultimately bring in your life, then it's going to be of little use to you. It'll expose sin for the lost person. That he might see his great need that he has in Jesus Christ, but it'll also expose sin for the saint. The Christian, those things that creep into our lives, that break our fellowship, that take away our joy. Look, it doesn't matter who you are today. You've got the same enemy. If you're lost, it's Satan that wants to destroy you for all eternity. He wants you to be with him away from God. If you're a Christian... He wants to destroy your testimony, your effectiveness, anything that you might accomplish for the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't care how he does it. If he can get your mind, whether it's what you're doing or what you're thinking or where you're going with your life, if he can get it off of Jesus Christ, off of the important thing and get it upon the world, he's winning a victory in your life, and that doesn't need to be. We all need sin exposed, and great preaching will not just play around. It will expose sin. We said it's going to take great power. The source of that great power is God through the Holy Spirit. There is no other power that's going to allow us to be a great church. But the sustaining of that power, it all comes from God. But the sustaining of that power in our life, if you belong to Him, He is present. The source of the power lives within you as a believer but the filling of the Holy Spirit, the control that that Spirit has over you. That's something that must be done day by day by day in our lives as we yield ourselves to Him. He is there. He has the power of the universe. He lives and dwells within you as a believer. But are you yielded to Him? Are you trying to tap in and use some other power in your life to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish? Are you yielded to the power that comes from him alone? You see, that's when we can become a great church, when it's his power that is operating through us. We talk about it takes great persecution. We come through great faith and great fervor is going to bring persecution. The world isn't going to love you. They're not going to like you. They're not going to pat you on the back because that your life isn't somehow magnifying the Lord Jesus and therefore 
exposing and magnifying the sin in their lives. They don't like their sin exposed. And in our flesh, sometimes we want to back away. We don't want to be able to do anything that might offend someone. Well, I'm not telling you to go out and offend somebody because you're doing something stupid and silly yourself. I'm saying let the power of God be so real in your life. Your faith be so great. Your fervor for Him so great as it was here because, you see, when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they spake the Word of God with boldness. People talk about all these different signs of the Holy Spirit being present in your life. I'm saying to you, the greatest sign of the Holy Spirit being present in your life is when it's God's Word that's being spoken through you that Jesus Christ is being magnified. That boldness to let Jesus shine before this world. But that will bring persecution. We talked about a great people. Love one for another, a longing one for another. Everything that they did in our reading here, we see that it wasn't themselves. What they had of their own, they didn't consider it their own. They weren't being made to share. They weren't even being made to feel guilty if they didn't share. It was their heart's desire because God had control of their life. They were more concerned about what somebody else didn't have than what they did have, that longing. You see, so many times Christianity to some people becomes more of a facade. We smile when we're at church. Somebody else is looking at us. We smile we know somebody else is there looking at us, but we're pretending. We're pretending. You see, they had a love one for another that they didn't want to be at church, to be in fellowship, to be in others' homes, to be with those other people because of what it was going to do for me. They genuinely, in their hearts, they loved one another in such a way, in the same way that Christ loved us. They longed to be with one another. They wanted to be with one another. They wanted to spend time together. A great church is going to have a great people that love each other with God's kind of love, a giving love, a sharing love. Your greatest desire above all else is others above yourself. And we said, as we looked last week, that they were a great church because man, they had great promise. They were alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Do we grasp and understand? Great grace was upon them all. It was a great church and there was great grace upon them all. But why was that? Because they had great power in the witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at all those things. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He shed his blood to atone for ours. He became sin for us. We looked at all those things and the third day, he rose again. He rose again. He was able to rise again because sin had been destroyed. Sin had been defeated. 
Death had been defeated. Death comes by sin, but Jesus Christ, he took care of the sin problem. He was a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. The sacrifice was sufficient, and that's why he could raise the third day if there had been one sin that he wasn't able to cover. He would have stayed dead because he took all those sins upon himself. Death comes by sin. Jesus took care of that sin problem. You see, their great promise was in Jesus Christ, his resurrection. We talked about the fact that every one of these men, yes, they had doubted. Yes, there had been times when they weren't as faithful as they should have been. There was times when they wanted to hide away. You know what? You don't find it anywhere after the resurrection. (laughs) After the promise of the new birth, of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. Never again, as a matter of fact. One dialed in exile on an island and the others paid for it with their lives because they believed in the power of the resurrection. They knew that was the promise. That was what made them a great church. Chapter 2, verse 47. You see, we read... In our reading today, it says, And when they heard that, that, being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? We find that, oh, they're praising God. A great church will be a praising church. When was the last time that you really praised God with your heart? You see, back in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it said, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So many times we come up with all these ideas of our own as to why more people aren't being saved and why more people aren't coming in. Well, I can tell you that the greatness of the church in in, in Jerusalem was that God added to the church daily such as should be saved when his people were praising him and giving him the rightful honor that's due to him. I wonder if I ask you this morning, how many of you you are sports enthusiasts of some kind? whether it's football or whether it's athletics, whether it's tennis, but you have some, some sport that you, that you like to follow. And if you follow and you have a team that you like that happens that, then what happens when, when they're doing something great? <laughs> what happens when they score that goal? Man, you jump up and you're happy and you're shouting and you're just, man, that's such a great thing that they did. What happens when they let the other team score? You either hide away and say nothing, or you start booing because they've done bad. You're not happy anymore. You're not lifting them up anymore. You see, praise comes when you're glad about what's happening because of them doing something great or something good. I'm not trying to compare our praise 
with a football match. <laughs> There's an awful lot of noise that takes place that has nothing to do with, with praise. I'm just saying that it's a natural thing in the flesh that when we like what's going on, we tend to praise it and voice it. We praise somebody for doing good. We praise somebody because they're doing something that makes a difference. Sometimes, sometimes I think that we offer God little praise because we're just too blinded to his greatness. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The depths of the riches of the value, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. That ought to make a Baptist actually want to praise God. The depths of the riches of his glory. And you know, I'm not saying that you've got to make a lot of noise. Because any true praise is going to come from within. You're probably going to show on your face, though. You're probably not going to be able to really hide it. You may want to sit there with that straight face and nobody know. Though if you're truly, man, if you, if you begin to look at the greatness of God and all that he is, you know him in his greatness. You see, I read this statement out of one of the commentaries that said, God is over all things, under all things, outside all, within but not enclosed, without but not excluded, above but not raised up, below but not depressed, holy above, presiding, holy beneath, sustaining, holy without, embracing, holy within, filling. That's our God. He, Paul says here to the Romans, I mean that his judgments are unsearchable. His ways past finding out. You can get excited over something earthly. I can tell you something. Us grandparents can get pretty excited over when our grandkids do something special. Man, that's great to us. We'll just smile and we'll be so happy and we can enjoy it so much. You see, the problem is a lot of times there's nothing wrong with that in its right place. The problem is, is that we're not looking at the greatness of our God. His greatness. It ought to fill us with joy. It ought to make us want to praise him because he is so great. What was it that is said there, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I don't think you can really, really grasp and look and get any kind of a hold on the grace of God without it making you want to praise him, to give him thanks. Great grace was upon them all. You see, 
It was God's grace, by His grace that enabled them to be the kind of church that they were. It was God's grace that was upon them, not because that it was the apostles in there, not because that there were 5,000 saved in one time. Those are not the things that made them great. They were great because even as people... God's grace was upon them. God's great grace was upon them. Revelation 5.12 says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That was the natural praise that was coming from them before the throne, before the Lamb of Jesus. It is only because of God's grace that you can be saved today. It's only because of God's grace that you are saved today if you're saved. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to get it by God's grace. It was just that faith, that only pathway to get to it. But you got to get to the grace in order to be saved. And it's only believing and trusting in him that will get you to that grace the greatness of God's grace, not only is that what saved you today, but do we understand by God's grace, only by his grace, can you serve him today? We'll never have a church that's accomplishing anything because that we're such a great church that we deserve to do it. The greatness is going to come because God's grace is so great upon us that despite the fact that we're a bunch of failing, miserable people that keep messing up, God loves us anyway. God's mercy is great. God's grace is sufficient that he allows us to serve him. If I was God, I've told you before, I wouldn't have saved me. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't have called me to preach if I was God. God's grace is the only reason that any of us are saved. Oh, don't even begin to think. You see, if you really, if you really look upon his greatness and see him for who he is, because all your thoughts, all your imaginations, you can't get there. But you get as high as you can, praise God, and hope that you can get a little higher the next day. And his grace is so unbounded, it's so big, you'll never be able to see it all. Well, you just ponder on it a little bit. You ponder on what God did for you because he loved you so much that by his grace, he saved you. And by his grace, he will use you right now to do that which God wants to do with your life. Not because you want to. Not because you deserve to. Not because you can. Because God can. <laughs> because God loves you enough. Because God left you here. Because God can do anything through you. There is nothing that he can't do. It doesn't matter whether it's to preach or whether it's to sing or whether it's to witness or whether it's to, to lift up that person out there that just needs somebody to show them that he cares. The greatness of our God. The grace of our God. The goodness of our God. Jeremiah put it this way in Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith who? Saith the Lord. <laughs> saith Jehovah God. 
I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. You see, friend, you may not understand it. And it may not feel good to you right now. And it may not look good to you right now, where you are or whatever it is that you're doing. But may I say that the Bible is true. And when he says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, he means it. When God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Not to give you what you want. Not to give you what you expect the end to be. It's impossible for God to do anything that's not for your good. Whether you see it or whether you don't understand it, when do you really have the audacity to know that we can actually think that we know better than God sometimes? That we understand the situation better than God does? That God can't possibly have this thing right? Folks, if we're going to be a great church, then it's going to take some great praising. That's what was happening in this church. They were praising God for his greatness because there was nothing greater than their God. He was the greatest thing. They could never fathom it all. They could never grasp it all. They could never understand it all. But praise God, that was their God. They were praising him for his grace because it was only God's grace that gave them any hope It was only God's grace that they could be saved. And it was only God's grace that they could serve. God's not asking you to do your thing for him. God's not asking you to do what you think you ought to do. God's asking you just to yield yourself to him. Oh, think of on his grace. You honestly think that you're so good that you deserve to be saved? You know better. You know better. You'll never understand it, but man, God loved you so much knowing every sin you'd ever commit, knowing every time that you'd doubt him, knowing every time that you'd blame him, knowing every time that you'd turn your back and go through. He knew it all. You didn't catch him by surprise. He still loved you enough that he went to the cross and he died for you and he paid for your sins and he rose the third day and that same God that by his grace saved you is the same God that by his grace will use you today. But you, Get your eyes off yourself and what you can and can't do and what you understand and don't understand and what you like and what you don't like. Praise him for his greatness. Praise him for his grace. Praise him for his goodness. God can't do anything that's not for your good. It's impossible for him to do anything that's not for your good. One writer said this, and I really like it. (laughs) Some of you may have read it before somewhere, but he said, God is up to something so big, so unimaginably good that your mind can't even contain it. What we see God doing is never as good as what we don't see. (laughs) You know, that's the thing with God. 
we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of his goodness. But man, all the goodness that we see is all that we don't see. That's even bigger. That's even grander. All I'm saying to you today, folks, we can be a great church, and you can be part of a great church. We can be a mediocre church. You can be a mediocre Christian. You can get your fire insurance and go to heaven someday and just struggle right on through this life or whatever you've got of it. You can be greatly used of God. You see, it was God that did what was being done here in the book of Acts. The same church that we're part of today is still the same church that that same Jesus is building, that's founded upon the same foundation. But I want to say with all of these things that we've looked at today, where's your heart? Are you praising God? Have you got your eyes on this world and the problems and the difficulties and the things you don't agree with and the things you do? And Are you looking to him? You see, I think... If you truly see his greatness, you're going to smile whether you like it or not. You might even say amen praise the Lord. It doesn't have to be noisy, but it won't disturb me if it is. Amen. I don't want anything fake and artificial, but man, if that joy comes bursting forth, praise God for it. That's what they were doing in heaven. You better get used to it a little bit down here because I don't think it's going to be everybody sitting around with long faces waiting to see what's going to happen next or what somebody else is going to do. Focus on his greatness, his grace, his goodness. Praise him with all your heart, wherever you are. Sometimes we think that we only praise him when we're singing praise music. It's like we only worship during the worship time of the service. It should be a lifestyle. We should be praising him. All the time, in everything that we do, praising him, magnifying him, thanking him for all that he's done for us. Father, I thank you today. And Lord, even now, I feel so unable to express even the depths of what you've laid upon my heart in these things. I can only pray that you can take the word of God and by the power of your spirit, that you can work in hearts here today. There may be someone here today that maybe they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So therefore, they can't possibly be part of the great church that you want here on this earth. Father, I pray you'd speak to their hearts. Help them to realize, Lord, as we've touched on this morning, that it's only, it's only the death of Jesus Christ. For by grace are they saved through faith, And even that, not of themselves, it's a gift from you. Father, help anyone here today that doesn't recognize and know that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Help them to be willing to humble themselves and come face to face with that grace that will save them today. Father, for every Christian here today, there may be some that are saved, but boy, they've been walking afar off, and they just, they need to get back where they need to be with you. They need to make some commitments. Oh, I know the devil's going to try to get them just to push it aside and to walk back out of here the same old way that they they walked in. He prizes in mediocre Christians and mediocre places that call themselves churches. God, may no man ever be built up in this place except the God-man, Jesus Christ. Father, may you speak to these hearts today. Help them, Lord.
Help them to draw near to you and understand what it is that you can really do through their lives and what you can do through this church. And Father, for every one of your children here today, may they be encouraged as they're reminded. Oh, they've got so much to praise you for. This church was a church. They were a bold church. They were a praising church. They were lifting the name of Jesus. Help us to do that today. Lord, I pray that you'd work in hearts as only you can. Help people to respond as they need to, that none of us leave here today the same people that entered this place. Lord, we know the expected end that you've promised for us one day, and that expected end is to one day be just like Jesus Christ, to be just like our Savior. So, Lord, I pray as that process has taken place that we grasp and understand that everything in our life, if you allow it, it's going to be for our good. Whether it's good or bad or whatever right now, it's going to be for our good. I pray that you'd help us this day. Put you first in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.